I heard McDonald's advertising that they have barista-style coffee. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't barista-style just coffee that's been made by a barista? Like, it's got nothing to do with the taste, the flavour, the colour, or even the quality. It's just saying what's been made by somebody who calls himself on their tax return a barista. The other and one was... That's generally um, a 16-year-old who's done a two-hour course. On how to press a button. If somebody yeah. says latte, press the button that's marked latte. Don't even get me started. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll go off like a frog in a blender. Thanks to Cryer Mold. This is Radio Brews News, and I welcome you all. My name is Pete Mitchum. I'm your host, and I'm joined today by the founding editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard, and the rock star brewer himself in his special guest role. He did it once uh, for us a little while ago at the announcement of the Hottest 100 results, and he's back again to reprise that role. It's the rock star brewer himself, Steve Hendo Henderson. G'day. How are you going? <laughs> hey, good on you, Hendo. Um, so, mate, obviously uh, working uh, with Matt and without a net, it was a little bit like working with animals and small children. They do recommend you don't do it, but uh, mm-hmm. you had a, you did really well up there at uh, in the studios of, uh, of Bolter over the Australia Day weekend. Yeah, and um, and glad you can join us again. You've um, got a bit of free time, so um, thanks for, for sharing a little bit of, of it with us. Thank, you. Thank uh, you. Rockstar Brewer, for those who don't know, here's the free hit, mate. The free right. hit. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> Rockstar Brewer is a very, very tongue-in-cheek name for my uh, personal blog. So uh, yeah, up until yesterday, I've been brewing at Stone and Wood, and uh, that was a fixed term contract, and that concluded yesterday, and I am very grateful for the experience and hell of a lot of fun that i had there and uh i'm uh i'm a free agent and i'm thinking of taking a vacation fair to say uh we've got southern bay we've got prickly moses we've got uh, uh cavalier and then uh, obviously your, your gypsy work with brew cold at various uh different venues uh yep. in, in terms of brewing stone and wood would have to be by far the largest that you've you've brewed on how did you find the difference i've worked in a lot of different breweries as you know when i um work in a very in, in much smaller breweries and you're right it is the biggest the thing that blew me away the most was just uh the the passion and the commitment to safety and to quality you know everybody there is super safe and that is something that should come before literally everything else before even start making beer and super focused on quality you know like normally i'd just go into a brewery and go and just sort of mutter to myself oh you should be doing this you should be doing that but you know for my entire time at stone and wood i was just like blown away it's like oh my god you do that to manage quality wow you know and so it was a lot of fun and a lot of really really talented people there making some top quality product Uh, i'm super stoked to have been part of that but Hendo, doesn't um, doesn't safety always come become very important when the bean counters take over a brewery and you've been taken over by a multinational brewery as Stone and Wood has? What? No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no I'm sorry. I'm just uh, sorry. Just having a not a dig at Stone and Wood. A dig at you know the three times a week that uh, somebody stops me and tells me that Stone and Wood is uh, sold out. Really? <laughs> you can get it at Grilled. <laughs> yeah. well, oh, okay, rightio. So that's yeah. the reason that it's not. It's a good. It's a good beer, Brent. Right. I can. I can say right from the the three founders, um, and all the way, uh, you know, across all of the staff at Stone and Wood, there. 
um, you know, fiercely proud of their independence. You know, staff have been uh, with the company more than 12 months, become employee shareholders. It's a really good scheme they've got. And, you know, everybody there is really proud of what they do and what they've built. And I should say that Hendo is coming to us live from the uh, flight path of the Gold Coast uh, Airport. Uh, yeah. They, can you hear them flying over? <laughs> I'm literally right on the uh, approach uh, to um, uh, Coolangatta Airport, so which is great if you're going somewhere because you're like $7 in an Uber, but not so good when they come and land and they're literally not even 500 feet overhead. So Before we go too much further, we probably should let our listeners know what topics we'll be covering in uh, the news this week. We're going to start off uh, with a bit of Rockstar brewer.com uh, blog and look at a guide to date coding. We will also follow on uh, with a chat that Matt's going to have. So we'll preempt a, a chat that uh, Matt's going to have with Greg Cook from Stone Brewing, uh, following on from the, uh, you know, Aussies, please don't buy my beer. We look at craft beer apparently about to take off in Tassie at Cascade and Lion moves Furphy to Sydney. Is it still craft? Gents, uh, we might throw to Hendo, I guess. For the, you did a, a, an article this week in your blog, Rockstar Brewer, on uh, Guide to Date Coding. Yes. So the um, the TLDR of that uh, post was pretty much um, a, a, a general guide of you know, and, and my opinion on, on how uh, craft brewers should approach date coding um, with regards to small packs, so that's uh, cans and bottles, and for draft, because they require, a, a, each of those formats requires a different approach. My opinion with regards to uh, small pack is that uh, brewers should put a packed on date so that the consumers uh, out there can be the judge for themselves uh, as to how old the product is. But in addition, I, you know, I think a best before date would also be a good addition to uh, informing the consumer and that also helps you to comply if you plan on selling your product into the major supermarket chains. So which they, which would they, they'd require you to have a, um, a best before date. So my opinion with Smallpack was why don't we have both? Uh, and then with uh, draft products, my opinion is that we should just have a best before date. And the reason is, is that when you put your beer into a keg uh, and send it out to a pub, the end consumer doesn't uh, see any of the dates, uh, unlike being able to pick up and look underneath the bottom of a can, for instance. Uh, and so there's this thing, a uh, term that I've heard bandied around the place called kegstipation, where a venue will buy a keg of beer, it might be a specialty release, might be something like that, and that venue, you know, unknowingly or knowingly, uh, may sit on that uh, that keg and hold it for a special occasion whilst it goes off, and then they go and tap that said product, and it's past it's it's past a certain age and doesn't present in the way in which a, a brewer would like it to be presented. And then finally, you know, with regards to what best before to put on your product, well, there's no hard and fast rules. It really does depend on the style, alcohol, um, you know, pack format, and what the brewers internal processes and what they believe their shelf life could be but it, it, it it's an interesting one hindo because whenever you get on your and i'm not talking about you i'm talking about me whenever i get on my high horse and you sort of say you know that these things should happen people sort of say well you know the commercial realities of our marketplace are such um and you know we do have a retail chain that is geared towards you know highly 
uh, high quality, manufactured, pasteurized, very shelf stable products, as you point out. Um, mm-hmm. And if small brewers are going to grow, they need to be in that. Um, they, they need to be in that logistics chain, and yes. the, the beer isn't necessarily being pulled through. Um, you know, for, for a hoppy beer that you know, is arguably less than three months at its best, it's, it's just not going to sell. And if you put a use-by date on those beers, it's going to make it even harder for those beers to be pulled through the, the, the retail chain. Is this a compromise that brewers are making? Why aren't they putting uh, dates on, on their cans, do you think? Uh, well, if you're in the majors, they won't accept your product unless it has a best before date. That's my understanding. I've, I don't recall ever seeing a product on the shelf of one of the major chains that didn't have a best before date, um, unless it was an issue with the you know bottling or canning line on the day. But um, that's a really you know when you if you're working on a packaging line and your date coder breaks down and you're not aware of it and you keep packing and packing and packing product wow imagine going backwards going you know how far, how long has this machine been offline <laughs> yeah and that's the thing the the big brewers do require and i think they require 12 months because they appreciate that you know by the time it gets to a store if it's taken three months to get to the store and you've got a six month shelf life then it gives them a very limited time to sell um, and people are starting because they've been conditioned yes to have 12 month use by dates on they're thinking the beer that you know is actually three months old and so you know arguably six months younger than the mainstream lagers they normally drink mm-hmm. is too close to use by date and it can't be any good so the use by date is a little bit deceptive or a little bit confusing for consumers um w- which is why you argue for their brewed on date is that right Packaged on date. Packaged yeah. on well, date. absolutely right with regards to a best before date. Um, you know, we've all done it. We've all walked into a bottle shop. We've had a look at the best before date, and it might be a month or so out, and you go, wow, that product's really old. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, how old is it? You don't know. What is the best before date that the brewer has put on that pack? You know, what have they what have they determined is their best before date? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it nine months? Can't, you can't tell with 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 solely a best before date, but you could if the packed on date was also there uh, at the same time, and then the onus goes back on the consumer to to, to make a, a an informed decision as to whether they believe the product is fresh or not. I think too, Hendo and, and Matt, the hardest part is, and, and Hendo touches on this really nicely in the article, is that this all still relies on, I guess, good you know logistic chain management. You know, you can do all you can to make sure that there's little or no dissolved oxygen in your beer so it's not going to age. You can make sure it's, you know, packaged properly so it's it's not going to um, uh, age. You can make sure there's, you know, no microbial activity by either pasteurising or, you know, just making sure everything's clean so you, you're not going to have, you know, spoilage and gushing. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we've then got to hope, um, you know, if, if we were making cheese, we would assume that it's always going to go in, in refrigerated transport. It's going to be kept in a in, in the shop um, whether it needs to be refrigerated or shelved or, you know, but it's going to be looked after because those people only um, sell those products and, and know how to look after them. But it seems that with beer, it's like we'll just leave it out in the in the shed or we leave it out in the in the laneway or at the end of the day, there's so much we can do to, to create a really good product, but there's still that symbiotic relationship that we've got to uh, somehow work around to get the, the end distributor or retailer you know, on the same page as the as the brewer. And it also uh, relates to the consumer as well because I guess mega brewers have made such a, a high-quality product that can be shelf-stable for such a long pr- period of time. They've trained 
the population at large uh, is that beer is uh, can last a long time when, uh, in actual fact, not, not all beer made has the ability to be able to last a long time and it takes a certain sense of retraining. You know, imagine if, for example, all of the milk that we buy at the supermarket was all UHT milk, which was super stable, uh, didn't need to be refrigerated. And we, you and I, we've been all been consuming it for many, many years. And then this new product comes out that's only got a two-week shelf life. Oh, and by the way, you've got to refrigerate it. We'd be rather confused. And, th- and it's the same thing with, with beer, is that um, we haven't yet broadly understood that beer is a perishable product because we're so used to having high-quality shelf-stable product. But does that inherently limit craft beer? We, we either have to tackle that understanding head on and change the logistics chain. So consumers are educated about use by dates. It's getting uh, to bottle shops cold, stored and fresh. And then it's being only ordered within time to, to sell within the use by dates. Or do we have to compromise what we regard um, as acceptable quality for beer? Or, or should craft brewers inverted commas craft brewers limit where they sell their beer to to make sure that it is getting out fresh and it is having pull through which by almost necessity means that craft brewers are going to be in a size ghetto where they can't ever grow to become national producers yeah that's true um if you don't have access to the funds and the equipment and the scale then, you know, it's up to the brewer to determine, you know, where their product is sold. More often than not, for smaller brewers, it makes logical sense to be a local brewer. And that's super important, you know, to be a local brewer. You know, on the flip side, it's up to that brewer to educate their consumers that um, we are a local brewer. If you're, if, if you're a Sydney-based brewery and you're drinking our product in Perth, then that's not what we intended. Um, so there's some education there that needs to happen. And that's why it's interesting. The Stone situation is such a you know, pivot point for the whole d- discussion because, uh, you know, Hendo, I, I sent you the interview that when we were talking about this um, after yes. you published your article and it was, was quite timely because seven years ago I spoke to Greg Cook who was railing about Stone being grey market imported. And in the course of that interview I said, well, why don't... There are a lot of distributors down here, a lot of importers who want a cold import you know bring your beer in in cold import yeah and then get it out legitimately um what's wrong with that and he basically said you will not be drinking my beer um cold shipping is very expensive you don't have yep. a um logistics chain to distribute it from port to shop um and then it's not cold stored it takes a long time it will be so expensive that it's going to be a luxury good not an everyday drinking thing um yes. and you know tick 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 Suddenly, a couple of years ago, he started distributing it. And I thought, and I just sort of let it go. And, you know, there, there was a bit of a kerfuffle um, that uh, Glenn Humphreys picked up on was that, you know, they'd extended their use by dates from, I think, 90 days or six months to 12 months to yes. get it into the retail chain. And that created a bit of a stink. And so I'm just reading from the Good Beer Hunting summary of it. Um, Greg Cook, who left absolutely no room, in, in my view, and I'd encourage listeners to go, go listen to it to see if you agree, but he left himself absolutely no room for nuance in his thing. You are not getting my beer. If I saw you drinking it, if you'd paid a dollar for it, I would slap it out of your hand and wash it down the sink, um, were, were his words. Now he's saying, um, yes, we have changed our uh, use-by dates. Our importer will only sell beer within code date, and that code date is between 90 and 120 days. 
Here's the reality, which I think is how he started uh, his col comments with me uh, with. Here's the reality. Retailers will not accept beer even with 90 days on it. The challenge is not with us. The challenge is the pre-existing code date standards for the country of Australia. So we have no choice but to use an Australian system or nobody will buy the beer, period. Yep. Then basically said Australians are still getting fresh beer. The thing is, I engaged him on Twitter about something because he was talking about insidious creep. Um, which is a gradual erosion of standards, and I called him on that. And uh, once I'd teed up an interview with him, which I'm doing this Saturday, I went out, and, I, and without sort of any shifties or anything like that, I went online um, to buy, from what I regard as Australia's best um, just, you know, online distributor, and then I went to five Dan Murphy's and five First Choice um, mm -hmm. bottle shops, and the youngest beer I got was from the online distributor, and I'm not going to sort of call them out because it's not their fault. And mm -hmm. it was five months old before it got to me, um, and that was the youngest beer. Um, at Dan Murphy's, I found beer that was brewed in July, so it is seven months old. And then, you know, there, there were five cartons of uh, five six packs uh, of cans, and I just have dug through. And at the back of the the, the, the row there were two six-packs of beer that had been brewed last February, so it was 12 months old and was mm -hmm. just in brew, um, brew by date. And that's a very long way of saying, you know, on one hand, Greg was saying he, he enunciated all of the reasons that he would not send his beer to Australia and identified why it wasn't good. None of that has changed, and exactly the problems he's identified have occurred, and yet he's sent, sending his beer to Australia, and to facilitate that, he doubled the best-before date of his beers. To me, that is, you know, that just signifies the inherent problem with, on one hand, having standards, but on the other hand, wanting to grow to the size of a brewery like Stone. You can't do that and not compromise your the standards that set up craft beer. Are you certain of the length of the best before date that it's twelve months? Yeah, it, it, it's brewed on and enjoy by. So they've got the two dates. Oh, they've got two dates, right? They've okay. got two dates yeah, on cool. the bottom. Maybe Greg Cook reads Rockstar Brewer. Maybe, maybe he does. Well, um, you know, I can't speak for, for for Greg, obviously, but I would, you know, hazard to assume, you know, your your Matt, your last interview with him was six six years ago, seven and seven years ago, right? Okay. He chipped me about that that it was uh, that long ago, as if you know, which is why the tone that he adopted during the interview seven years ago is so relevant because. There was, there was no room for nuance or no room for compromise. And it, it actually shaped um, a lot of my approach to the, the, the way I've written about these things because he was so adamant and he said, I won't compromise. We built, you know, to ship our beer, we bought a cold distribution, you know, gave all of this thing. And then suddenly yep, yep. that's all out the window now because he wants to sell to Australia. He's decided it's okay to sell to Australia. Maybe in his own way, and probably what he didn't communicate to you is that in that seven-year period, um, they've probably uh, done a lot of, uh, you know, you have to take into consideration, they've probably done a lot of uh, upgrades to the brewery and, you know, enhanced quality and lowered dissolved oxygen and and the like, and that would certainly um, change. And I was literally looking at, I did a Google search this morning on dissolved oxygen meters and one of the first things that popped up was uh, a post post from mitch Steele, who is the former uh, brewmaster for stone uh, from 2007 going which dissolved oxygen meters are the best and i can only deduce from that that stone have improved their processes and equipment over the years which may put them in a position to say okay well our, our shelf stability is uh, is getting better and we can put a 
longer best before date on. I wasn't trying to put you in the position of defending or critiquing. No, no, not uh, at all. Greg, um, I guess the, you know, my understanding is dissolved oxygen, you know, does increase staling um, or you know, expedite staling. Yep. But then you've got the whole issue of hop-driven beers particularly are highly volatile. No matter what you do in the yes. brew house, they need to be drunk fresh because you, you cannot stop the demise of hop-driven beers, uh, yep. even refrigerating. Taking all of the best practice you still have a very finite period in which you can get them out and get them. And, and, and that was the point that Greg was saying. All of this came because people were saying, saying, oh, the beers aren't as good as you know, I thought they would be. The, the hops are, you know, um, aren't there. And he was saying, you will not get my beers because we put three months on it. Um, and in the States, they still have that um, three-month or you know, 90-day, 120-day code on it because that's when they want you to drink the beer yeah just my little you know again it was a hundred percent of the six random venues that i took nobody was getting beer in under five months or there was someone's buying beer that is no younger than five months and anything up to 12 months which is exactly what he was trying to prevent. Yes. Uh, Matt, just before we move on to our next news topic, we should point out that you, uh, you've teed up a, a, a follow-up interview with Greg Cook from yeah. Stone. Greg's uh, comments were a really strong statement of what fresh beer means and what he was at one time trying to achieve with the um, freshness and keeping the beer and keeping the experience as good as possible. And, and so they had refrigerated distribution. They wouldn't sell it, send it across the world because it wouldn't be pulled through. Yep. Was that a statement of what you had to do to not compromise on your beer and anything else is a compromise, really? This is a question to you as a brewer. Do you think that someone would be drinking beer as you intended it if you'd sent it to Perth and they drank it in six months' time? As a brewer, you're constantly uh, thinking about it and thinking, you know, what compromises ha- have I made? And uh, it it plays very heavily on, and I would imagine on pretty much every brewer, uh, you, you know, as a brewer, you are only in control of your supply chain up until the point in which you sell it. In my history, I've always been very fastidious around uh, making sure that my supply chain up until the point that it's sold to a, a retailer, the beer was kept and stored and transported in a way that, that, that I was comfortable with. Uh, you don't have that control when it goes to a retailer. You can't. They're they're, they're their own business, and and you can only advise, not dictate to a retailer as to how they store your product. Um, and uh, I think it's up to brewers to spend time and educate uh, the retailers to uh, tell them what's happening, ha- ha- what can happen to the product when it's not refrigerated. Uh, because at the end of the day, if uh, the brewer and the retailer are working together, then the consumer experience is better, the product presented better, and it sells more. Mm. Everybody wins. I guess I sort of look at the the passion that something like craft beer fires, and there's like there's an absolute point at which craft beer is no longer craft beer, and you know people want to say it's you know when you sell. And I can't work out how you know people get just because a beer is not independent, they want to say it's not craft, and that's not it because often the quality of, of the beer goes up um, after a turnover. And it's the same as this, you know, uh, if brewers are willing to commit their beer to long distribution channels so we know that the consumer's not getting the optimum experience, is that a compromise that means that, well, you know, we say that craft beer is better because it's X, Y, and Z, but yet we're quite willing to put it out into distribution chains that mean that we know that the consumer is getting a, a shitty product. 
Um, you go, well, how is that, you know, how is that a, a better experience for the beer drinker? It's just one of those philosophical questions I, 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 I wrestle with. Yeah, and and I couldn't couldn't give you an answer to that. It's it is you know, and then you bring in the hype factor as well, you know, from the consumer end. <laughs> so because it was really illustrative to me back when I did the interview with with Greg Cook, because you know, I sort of I was sort of saying, well, look, just if if people want to drink shit beer, let them drink shit beer. If they want to drink stale oxidized beer and then get on rate beer and say that the experience is bad, I appreciate it's bad for the brewer, but you know they're the one having the bad experience and greg cook came in and said no look this is the um 10 commandments according to to greg cook and i went well actually that's really if you've got someone who's willing to adhere to that standard then i reckon that's a pretty good standard Mm -hmm. and and it really changed my view but when we posted that just the comments on twitter and facebook and in at the end of the the article was don't tell me how i should drink my stone beard you know really um, (laughs) if i want to drink it old just give me my stone you know, because I want a ticket, I want to put it on. Uh, thing it was basically the, the tenor of the comments. If I want stone, I should have it, um, and it's not up to the brewer to tell me whether I'm getting good stone or bad stone because I want stone in my yeah in my uh, untapped yeah in, in my untapped. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah. th- th- there's so many competing things, but yeah, some some of the guys who do that are the ones who you know, who are willing to drink a compromised version of a beer, are the ones who are willing to shout the loudest um, about breweries when they sell out. Um, and as I said, so they're willing to drink shit beer, but then they think that a beer is worse when sometimes the objective quality actually goes up. It's just part of the fun life that we live in in uh, craft beer. And a, we look forward a... to delving even deeper into this topic than we have already after uh, after your uh, conversation, your next conversation with Greg Cook, Matt. Yes, mm, looking forward to it. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Uh, now, speaking of craft beer, apparently there's a new craft brewery that's being built in um, in Tasmania. Is this true? Yes. <laughs> Hendo, what's craft capability? This is for both of you. I'll throw a couple of terms <laughs> at you that, I, that I've heard okay. just in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I heard McDonald's advertising that they have barista-style coffee. Now... Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't barista style just coffee that's been made by a barista? Like it's got nothing to do with the taste, the flavour, the colour, or even the quality. It's just saying what's been made by somebody who calls himself on their tax return a barista. The other and one was that's generally um, a sixteen-year-old who's done a two-hour course on how to press a button. If somebody yeah. says latte, press the button that's marked latte. Seriously, don't don't even get me started. <laughs> so, I'll, we'll, I'll go off like a frog in a blender. The other Stand one was back from the coffee aficionado. <laughs> that's it. Rotisserie style chicken. Now it's just rotisserie chicken, isn't it? Well, exactly. And then if it's charcoal chicken, it means we're probably done on a rotisserie over charcoal. But it could also be beer can. You know, marketing people seem to be coming up with these. And hello to all our friends in marketing. Um, coming up with these terms, 
And now Cascade, or sorry, SAB Miller, CUB, Cascade have announced that um, they're going to invest some money and don't even get me started on the fact that the government's tipping in some cash into this um, to improve their craft beer capability at Cascade. I wholly agree with you on McDonald's and barista-style coffee and next thing we'll have barista-style Nescafe, you know, and I'm sure it probably exists. And, and I think this is a case of, like, it's a little bit more complicated or a little bit new, more nuanced. Um, CUB doesn't have a, you know, we'll call it CUB because that's our, our local face. Um, CUB doesn't have a small-scale brewing operation at the moment and even Cascade, which is their smallest uh, plant, is too big for, you know, some of the... Matilda Bay beers and some other things that they want to grow. So I think they do need to inject money there um, because they closed the Port Melbourne plant. They, they need to sort of get small capability there. Um, and then, look, that has to be applauded um, in, in a sense. In terms of the government putting a million dollars in, you know, Tasmania doesn't have a strong economy. They chopped down all the trees um, and it would be, a, you know, I think it would be a terrible loss to tourism in Tasmania if um, CB closed down the, the old Cascade Brewery and it would be a PR disaster for um, CB. So I, I guess they're looking at, you know, trying to create jobs, trying to create demand for local hops and local uh, malt. CB hasn't got the proudest history in terms of cultivating and creating craft beer brands, and I point to Matilda Bay, which they can't even grow to a size that it occupies Cascade terribly well. But, yeah, look, Matt, it's one of those things. Governments decide what their priorities are. I actually think it's a fantastic um, that we've seen Victoria, Tasmania, Queensland to some extent um, invest, starting to see craft beer as an economic driver. Um, I'd like to and see South them... And South Australia. And South Australia. Yeah, absolutely, South Australia. And I'd, um, I'd like to see them uh, lower regulation and red tape for small brewers and increase their route to market rather than handing out a million-dollar grants. But, you know... It is what it is. Hopefully, we'll see um, you know some of the you know some interesting locally developed beers and maybe even a resurrection of the uh, Matilda Bay brand. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do with whether this means that there's going to be a renewed focus on the Cascade brand, and I don't think even they could tell us. No, I think I also have to sort of step back and have a look at what you know craft capability would mean for a brewery like Cascade. You know, they would be operating as you say on a big on a very large scale. You know, I think downsizing the the batch size to a more manageable scale, a manageable batch size for the craft beer market would be a challenge for a brewery like Cascade, which would be for the autom- you know, a lot of automation and. Um, so you, you're going to, as you downscale, you have to bring a lot of manual process back into your production, and that means more people and therefore more jobs. So I can understand that side of things. Um, you know, they probably wouldn't have, it would be, I can only imagine it would be very difficult at Cascade to dry hop a beer uh, at the very least because, you know, the tanks would be fully closed, you know, automated with regards to their cleaning and sanitation um, and how do we throw hot pellets in after fermentation? Wouldn't know, you know, uh, that would be tricky. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of lot more brands that currently come out of Cascade come out of the same brewery. And I believe that's where Goose Island is still made. And I know that they did, um, you know, that there, there was a, I don't know that struggle's the right word, but I know that there were more batches than often is used to commission a, a brood under licence beer um, or get signed off for a brood under licence beer when they started brewing um, Goose Island, which again is a is a good sign that 
they were that robust in the quality control of Goose Island, but it yep. it would have also shown some of the lack of, you know, craft capability, I guess, at the brew house that they they did struggle to to get it on on stream. And I, I guess that oh, yeah. that that's what this is addressing. I can imagine what? it would be very difficult at Cascade to make uh, Goose Island products. To, There's to the seven a.m. from Goose Sydney Island. coming in. Yeah, no, it's taking <laughs> off. <laughs> off. Jeez, it's lost. <laughs> you haven't been Sorry. down there, Prof. When been down at the southern end of the Gold Coast, when the planes are coming in, it's it's pretty impressive to be down the beach. It's not quite that South American beach where you know you can sort of stand under and almost be blown back into the water by the uh, jet exhaust. But it's still um they they come in pretty low over the beach. Yeah, go. which is right where I am. But today they're sort of they're taking off in my direction. They're not landing. The other thing I want to touch on with uh, with Cascade is that for anyone who's been to the visitor centre, it's it's one of the I guess untapped potential are the two words that that spring to mind. It's the most beautiful setting in which to to have a beer, and you're sort of yeah, looking over across the road in one direction. You're looking across beautiful hundred year old gardens. In the other direction, you're looking at the beautiful bluestone facade of, you know, uh, what lies behind, you know, in front of, I should say, a a very modern and, you know, robotically controlled brew house. And yet all you can get is Cascade. Do you think that will change? Like I, I would have thought, and I know that it, there's probably a, a thinking that we do need to keep, you know, degrees of separation from our other brands so that we don't appear to be a, a big mm. multinational, but surely there's some way of, of, of perhaps uh, building a, you know, a second bar that has, you know, you could call them guest taps if you want with um, with your, your Four Pines, with your Goose Island, all that sort of thing. Because the last time I went down there, and, and in all honesty, I love the place to bits, but I won't be back because all mm-hmm. I can get is, is this paddle. Now, the only thing that looks different is, is if you can get um, a, a darker beer that they have every now and then, but it's usually, you know, uh, Cascade Black or something. Um, but then you've got, you know, Blonde... Draft, 3X, Cascade Premium, and whatever. And you look and looking and tasting them, they're all identical, you mm-hmm. know, for all intents and purposes. So hopefully that they can do something with the brewery, but then also I guess reflect that in the in the visitor centre because to me it's just a it's a it's an unloved gem. I think James actually mentions that in here, Prof. That it's uh, that some of the other beers. I think Goose Island is available on tap there. I'm just trying to scan the uh, article, James. Maybe it's the the other one. Um, Do we know what brands are being produced there? Cascade is currently the facility it uses to produce a number of smaller volume beers, including Lazy Yak and Newcomer Rusty Yak, as well as Matilda Bay and Goose Island Ranges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holdsworth said it is also the home of CUB's heritage brands, such as Tooth's, Bulimba and McCracken's. Interesting mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> Bulimba beer is uh, made in Tasmania. Um, <laughs> isn't that, but it, but it, but it's Bulimba Goldtop, wasn't that a... <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that a Brisbane, a famous Brisbane brand, Matt? It, 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 and it, is the, it, it was the original brand that used the classic VB theme and VB uh, knocked it off. So it is a very uh, heritage brand. But you'd kind of think that the whole point of having a locally named brand, I'm sure it's brewed in honour of the uh, Belimba Brewery, just as Great Northern is brewed in honour of the Great Northern Brewery that we love up here in Cairns, as the website says. Um, but uh, yeah, no, look, it's... Uh, I, I believe it is there, but and that's a great point, Prof. Whenever I speak to the guys from the big houses, they, you know, they they launch um, campaigns like "Beer the Beautiful Truth" in Lion's case, saying we need to build category, we need to build category, and meanwhile they build little uh, silos around their own brands, and so you do have this amazing tourist facility in Tasmania, and you can only get the Cascade beer. And I know that there is a bit of a conflict between 
the Cascade visitor experience. But as you said, you have guest taps, um, and they're quite happy to pay big money and buy big money to buy small breweries. So when they go to other people's bars, they can you know have their big volume mainstream beers and then have Goose Island, Four Pines, and, and those sorts of things. So it looks like they're offering a range. Why can't they do it in their own venues? Yeah, question without notice to you two, but do you, do you know, for example, where um, Alpha Pale Ale, Redback, Dog Bolter, where are they all being brewed? I thought that was Cascade. Yeah, no, they are. So that, that's what, as well as the Matilda Bay and Goose Island Ranges. Although I think these days, I don't, I, look, I, I don't quote me on this, but I might have heard a rumour that Dog Bolter has been deleted, which is a tragedy. Um, Alpha, I haven't seen for years. I saw... Redback somewhere. Um, actually, you and I, Prof, we, we were down in Sydney at the Beer Deluxe. And Beer we Deluxe had, at King's Wharf. But, but again, that was yeah. going on two years ago. Um, yeah. I do know that they are still making um, Ruby Tuesday, I believe, is still available, but I haven't seen it anywhere. Minimum Chips is um, because it was on the cruise I was on last weekend. But outside of the Yaks and Minimum Chips, I, I haven't even seen them in Dan Murphy's, I have to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, watch this space, as we often say, and we'll see uh, what happens with uh, with Cascade. I'll be down in um, uh, South Hobart, staying not very far from uh, from the brewery in um, mid for going down, heading down for the Midwinter Festival this year. Ah, oh, nice at, uh, mm-hmm. at Willie Smith. So I might I might just pop in and check it out. Uh, is that a uh, work or a pleasure? Between you, me, and the listeners, it's family. If the tax department's listening, it's it's business. All right, all right. Something about it. it, it it's always. No, I'm work. paying. I'm it's not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not there as a you know as a guest of Willie Smith or anything like that. I'm, you know, we're paying. no, no. That's what I meant. But you, you you're down there visiting, and it's a really good opportunity to to visit your family. As just about there? every exactly qu- as, as about every uh, federal politician manages to do. <laughs> that's it. Speaking of travel, Furphy is travelling to Sydney. Mm. I thought I thought Furphy was the beer for Geelong. It was originally it was just it was only going to be available at Geelong in the same way as I guess Stone and Wood uh, Draft Ale was originally meant to be just sort of you know tapped at a couple of bars in Byron and enjoyed you know fresh off the beach in convivial atmosphere, but uh, then moved onwards and upwards. Furphy doing the same. It then spread to it's a beer. We'll just make it just available in Victoria. And now it's available everywhere. Mm. It's done. It's done pretty well. It is a victim of its own success. And as somebody piped in on Twitter, they pointed out that you called it, Prof. Uh, I did. I, you can call me Mike Williamson. I did tip this in the same way that for AFL fans uh, or non-AFL fans, uh, Mike Williamson, very famous uh, AFL commentator or back in the day VFL commentator, uh, who famously <laughs> um, said after the, after the event. <laughs> Uh, the 1966 grand final. He tipped. He tipped that uh, that St Kilda would win by a point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I tipped this. I tipped okay. this. Or it may, may have been the actually, oh, it may, may have been the, the drawn grand final. I can't remember. But anyway, but after that, it was sort of like you know, oh, he's done a Mike Williamson. Uh, so yeah, I did suggest that uh, it was it was too good to you know you know some some birds are just not meant to be caged as those inspirational calendars spurt um, or dribble. Um, what? Hendo, I've asked a few people this. What What is it? If you had to sum up the success of Furphy, what is it? They have captured lightning in a bottle. Look, it's a Kolsch style in the yep. same way that you know, it's a rotisserie style chicken or a Brewster style coffee. <laughs> yep. um, I've spoken to plenty of people from Germany, let alone specifically from Köln. This is not Kolsch. 
and for a start, you can. It, it's got quite a, a good kind of yeast character, which uh, I guess you know Kolsch doesn't have. It's it's got that nice neutral kind of yep. feel about it. Um, but it's is it the marketing? Is it the uh, the logo? Is it the bottle shape? What is it? Mate, could it just be the beer? It, it, well, that's a, that's what I'm a, sort a of thinking beer, about. Right? It. I think it's a, it's a very very approachable, very uh, sessionable beer. And uh, it's marketed and sold at a pretty sharp price point, and it's a really easy switch for uh, a consumer to go right. I've been drinking, uh, you know, uh, to his new all my life. Oh, here's this one. I'll give it a try, and they try it once, and they go, "That I like oh, that. Yeah, a that's bit right. better. Yep, yep, it's about the same price." All right, let's go. I walked into um, Uncle Dan's um, the other day, and yeah, when it's on special, it's like forty six, forty eight bucks a carton. Yep. So it's, it's priced the same as as uh, as mainstream beer, and you know it's just a little bit of a it's just sort of you know lions, you know hey man I'll just take you by the hand and let's just come over this way a little bit have a look at that, and um, it's capturing people. Well, that's a good thing. I think we need more epiphany beers. Yeah, do you think the fact that they called it refreshing ale rather than a, a Kolsch, for example? Um, does that help? Because it's uh, oh, I'm not really sure if I'm an ale drinker, but I don't mind stuff that's refreshing. And at 46 bucks, yeah, I'll give it a try. And then they then kind of go, oh, actually, well, maybe I do like ale. If this is what ale can taste like, then maybe I do like ale. And I don't know whether that was intended. So I don't success. think that if I was to, if I was thinking in the mindset of, of the consumer who's just been taken by the hand or given the gentle nudge over to Furphy, that they're thinking about whether it's culture they don't care. And um, to say refreshing ale, it's a nice, approachable message and it doesn't, you know, you, you, you put yourself in the mindset of, of someone who's actually going there. You know, you've, they're the sort of people who walk into a really good craft beer place, you know, with, with 20 craft beer taps and see that um, Carlton Draft or VB or Tui's New or whatever isn't there and they go, they get scared. They go, shit, I, I, my go-to beer is not here. What do I do? What do I pick? It's a really, it's just a gentle way to to get people across and start them on their craft beer journey. And maybe that's as far as those people will get. Maybe they'll go, hmm, didn't mind that furphy. Trying new things was a real positive experience. I might try other new things. Yeah, spend and a I think bit more, spend a little bit more, yep. explore, and that's how the thing starts. So it's good. I will make this prediction though. I reckon they just create a bit. We've seen uh, them try a lot of uh, small beers that they've given a very limited release that haven't gone anywhere, um, and you don't hear much about them. They're still being made. You know, Billimber's an example of that. It's not really getting out there much. You see Furphy that was a little beer, had a nice brand, just a lot going on that just worked, and the, the, the beer worked, and it's grown a little bit. They've let it go, they've let it go, they've let it go, and then, you know, success breeds success. People have heard about it up here, like bar managers up here have heard about how well Sir Furphy's doing and so they've been asking for it and if they're keen they put it on and then they sell it whether it was a conscious decision by the marketers to say let's do this one really small and let it go out there I reckon not it's they've just as as you said captured lightning but I bet you every marketer that's been involved in the campaign is patting himself on the back and what a genius he was (laughs) for our strategy inside the inner sanctum of the marketing department i reckon at the 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 they're all still looking at each other going i don't fucking know how we did it yeah well no 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 no. they will be it'll be on their linkedin but of course they're they're going to be patting themselves on the back but i'll just say it was exactly the same with fat yak there was something about the name there's something about the beer something about the time um and the brand that it all all went off but then you look at big helga 
you look at you know all of the other things that they tried uh, afterwards that haven't gone anywhere near it we're with exactly the same strategy and it you know it's lightning in a bottle there's been a couple of good insights that have gone on but you also watch all of the beer geeks and you're seeing it already you know oh, those you know melbourne's beer you know that's bullshit they're, they're sort of cynical marketing people trying to make it limited release when they wanted to make it go national the whole time um and so they're basically telling the marketing guys they're geniuses where i think it's just been one of those you know if you try 10 things one of them's going to come off yeah. <laughs> Throwing That's up it. shit at the wall. Uh, anyway, Mate, the, the, the secret to success. <laughs> the, who said this? The, the secret to success is just turning up. Yeah, that's right. And what is it? Luck is the uh, intersection of uh, hard work and opportunity. But sometimes it's just it's just luck. Yes. Uh, but good on luck, them. Good on them. Nineteen or maybe twenty this year. Uh, brewers will be lucky enough to receive a trophy at the Australian International Beer Awards. Entries yeah. for which have just opened. Awesome. Hendo, now, I know there must be just a hint of dejection that uh, you weren't able to defend your your crown as uh, the inaugural winner of the uh, the Gypsy Brewer Award. Is it a little bit bittersweet that uh, you'll be judging this year but uh, won't be able to have any of your beers? It'll actually be the second year um, that I haven't had a, a beer in the ARBAs because uh, before the start of last year's ARBAs, uh, wasn't making product. So, no, I'm good. Looking forward to judging, though. It's a lot of fun. I haven't uh, had a chance yet to have a look through the new style guidelines, but I do believe that NEPA or uh, bone broth or chicken soup, as Charlie Bamforth beautifully uh, refers to it as, uh, has uh, has got its own category. After real, like It took probably four or five years for an Australian style or a, a new world uh, pale ales and pilsners to sort of um, to, to get a Guernsey. Um, are we just moving a little bit quicker as the um, the advisory group perhaps got a little bit more sway lately that that NEPA can well, uh, appear so quickly after its after its birth? Um, just to just as a clarification on on uh, why New England IPA is in the AIBAs this year, uh, so the AIBAs operate under the Brewers Association style guidelines, and then they add in. Uh, other styles which they see fit that fall outside the BA style guidelines and they go, we're going to have these as designated styles for our particular competition. So that's um, things like Australian style pale ale and that's been split into two different uh, categories now. Uh, New England IPA, uh, Australian style lager I think is also one. Um, and um, and I think a lot of that feedback's come from the judges. They're like, you know, there's a lot of beers that, that are for sale in the Australian market in particular, made, being made by Australian brewers, that don't have a American, as in the Brewers Association style, uh, guideline. style guideline represented. So good thing. And it's nimble. It's good. Good. So you want to put New England IPA in as a style. So New England IPA to the best of my knowledge, isn't a BA style yet. Uh, that's got to go through a whole sort of process and committee and all that sort of thing. But uh, the AIBA, you know, they utilise the skill of the judges and they go, write a style guideline that would match uh, New England IPA. And lo and behold, they did it and did it quick. Good thing. But is that a little like the front cover of a magazine in 1970s telling everyone to have mutton chops and flares? Um, you know, it, it, does it or does that signify that New England IPA isn't just a flash in the pan and has has some longevity? I, I'm just thinking back, you know, five years ago when Cascadian uh, pale ales or you know, Imperial uh, Black IPAs, everyone had one. Now I can't think of too many people that that, that are making them. Is that going to be the, the the same with New England IPAs? 
Maybe, but it's the same with other styles, you know. I mean, how many grisettes do you see made out there? You know, it's, it's trends come and go, and that's that's a consumer thing. Um, the ALBAs is about, you know, making beer with skill uh, and making various styles of beer with skill. And, you know, uh, whether they're popular or not, uh, it's irrelevant. <laughs> but should the ALBA be recognising things that have some longevity rather than, you know, something's popular this year, so we'll create a, a style. You know, should there be a you know, uh, like a non-specific category for, you know, best Instagrammable beers. <laughs> well, give me an example of, of, of a style in the past that, that you think has come and gone that, that you're, like what he's saying, is no longer represented in the ARBAs, ARBAs or...? Um, oh, well no, well, no, but, you know, we, we didn't see when Black IPAs, uh, you know, God, I mean, that went goes back seven years, um, and now, yep. as I said, hardly any around. Um, yep. But they didn't create a trophy and they didn't create a category for black IPAs, I don't think. It was just uh, yep. like a specialty category. Um, yes. New England IPAs have exploded in the last uh, 12 months. You know, they, they've been around for two, three years really as a thing, yep. but the last 12 months, are they going to taper off just as quickly as black IPAs? And if they do, should we celebrate you know, more long-lasting styles at the IPAs and you know, have specialty categories? Like pop-up category. I think it's really good. You know, six, seven years ago when Black IPA was a thing and there was, you know, you can imagine there was no place for it to be adequately assessed for quality. Now, um, the ARBAs have, have taken the initiative and they're being more nimble and they're going, well, this is this is a new style of beer. It doesn't fall into any other sort of category that we currently assess. Let's make it. Let's get it out there. Let's let's see who's the best. Oh, it's a great thing. It's driven by consumer choice and sales and popularity and all that sort of thing. And it's a great thing that we can actually, within a year, uh, now have a category where New England IPA can be judged. See who's the best. It took ages to get Black IPA in. And, you know, by the time that, that um, Black IPA or Cascadian Dark Ale was a style that was able to be judged at uh, any beer competition, well, the, the trend had moved in a different direction and that and that style had tapered off. And we missed the opportunity right during the peak of when of, of popularity of that style. Who was the best? Maybe that's what killed it. We didn't have awards benchmarking quality and so they natural selection saw them die out. Yeah. It's so the thing <laughs> is is that is we've got this you know, we've got the New England IPA thing happening now and um, you know, we've got Australian brewers who are producing that style to their own interpretation because I I've never had a genuine uh, New England IPA. I've not gone to uh, Vermont or anything like that to, to to try a real New England IPA. So if I was to make a New England IPA it'd just be my interpretation of what I think it is. Well, let's get it in front of a panel of experts and um, uh, let's see, you know, who's who's making it to style and, and who's doing a very difficult style, not necessarily to make, but the hoppiness is applied in such a way to that style that it's very, very short shelf life. And we're looking at a month between when exhibits need to be delivered to the RBAs to when they're actually put in front of a panel. How's that going to pan out? That's going to be, yeah, really interesting. As I say, I was just asking the question. One of the great things that I think it, it, it does lend to is that I love going through 10, 15-year-old um, AIBA categories, uh, yeah. catalogues, because it's a 
time capsule for yeah, yeah. where the brewing industry was, um, what beers were popular, you know, because you, you see where the most beers were entered. And I, I think it's a, a great thing from, from that perspective. Talking about local uh, interpretations, a big shout out to uh, Modus Operandi who sent me a copy of their Majestic Leopard. Have you guys tried this one yet? No. No. What's it like? On Crafty Pint, it's listed as a hazy pale ale, so it's a 5%. I sort of acknowledge that I was pleased that they didn't call it a session Nipah. <laughs> but it is, it's a 5% cloudy, hop-driven pale ale that is just elegant and you know, beautiful. It's a style that I don't uh, warm to, but this was a, a really, really lovely version of, of the style because everything was so elegantly uh, balanced. Yep, and so to all the brewers out there who are listening, uh, make sure that to be in the running to win a trophy, you do need to get your entries in. So have a look, uh, AIBA entries for 2018 open now. Um, surprisingly, Matt, unless you've got them all. No, nothing no mailbag. Nothing in the mailbag. What? No. I've, got to, I've got to work harder. They just roll their eyes at you, Prof. You reckon? You reckon it's oh, not even worth responding. They're not taking the bait. Yeah, when somebody slags me off, I sort of come back and it makes for some good theatre. <laughs> you just let it roll. Matt Kierkegaard, now with extra cynicism. <laughs> um, well, in that case, I think we probably uh, need to wrap this up, smack it on the bottom and send it home happy and contented. Um, it's been a pleasure working uh, with you, uh, Hendo, as our special guest presenter. Um, Thank thanks very much me. for coming along. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it, Cheers. mate. Rockstar co-host. Thank yeah, you. it's the first official, <laughs> actual, you know, labelled rockstar that we've uh, that we've been able to work with. So words and memes. If you like good memes uh, and good words, uh, come and come and stop by rockstarbrewer.com. <laughs> Isn't that a tautology? No good memes. All memes are good memes. Are they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, um, thanks very much again to all of our sponsors who make Radio Brews News possible. Thanks very much to you, Matt. Always a pleasure, Prof. Mate, enjoy it. And uh, look forward to uh, next week when we will do it all again.